0: It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the free recap weekend, eight day edition. Justin Ferguson, right here, painter sharpless, over there. Hello, painter.
1: I Feel like I'm in the mean from Fresh Prince of Bel Air when he's standing around his empty house. I've just recently yeah, you, moved everything out. It certainly is echoey in here.
0: It's a little echoey on my end, but like I think it gives it a nice, like just kind of like ambiance. Like you know, it's it gives it it gives what you're saying a little bit more gravity. You know, you, you, feel, oh. you it feels like it feels like you might be a, a very important person, maybe a judge or something like that.
1: An important person. All right, and, I can live with that.
0: An important person. All right, we have a lot to talk about about the A Day game, which is Saturday. We're recording this on Sunday morning. You will be hearing this sometime Sunday afternoon, or maybe on your Monday. Glad you could join us. Um, but before we we jump into to A Day talk, wanted to uh, address something right off the top. Um, and and I wasn't planning on saying this. Uh, but I didn't tell Painter I was going to say this right before we started recording um So, Painter, sorry for for throwing you off here, but I think I think it has to I think it has to be said uh, at the very beginning, and it's this: uh, this is the year. Bo Nix has improved so much under this new <laughs> offense. He's focused. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse for the Heisman. So I, had, I had to get that off my chest. I had to get that off my chest. Um, you and
1: uh, all of Auburn Twitter, I suppose
0: that was i mean it was really really funny yesterday uh if you aren't on twitter or you don't really know what's going on uh on twitter or what was going on yesterday um there were uh there were a couple of guys uh friends of of a uh, friend of the program nathan king i believe uh tweeted that basically that copy pasta to like right at nathan he's like i have no idea what's going on here and then uh you know a few of us like a few of us on the beat like we're 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 tweeting about it how funny it was and then it like took off like wildfire like pretty much every tweet i have yesterday whether or not it was about bonex had had that exact same uh, tweet under it and it's funny it, it is really really funny i mean we'll we'll get into like actual bonex text later cuz i did think he looked good and i think he looked improved um but I mean, one of the one of the funnier things, and and painter, as we were as we were saying before we started recording, like, you know, it's not all the time that 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 Auburn Twitter can can jump on a good joke and run with it, especially during football season. I feel like it, that's more like Auburn basketball's got um, got a little bit more uh, got a little bit more fun to it, especially when you get into like how they tweeted other teams uh, after wins <laughs> auburn football twitter can be it can be a, a scary place sometimes so for so many people to jump on <laughs> jump on this yesterday in a short amount of time it was pretty good
1: yeah i think auburn twitter can definitely wade into the into the territory of cringy so it was nice that everyone got well not everyone but most people got the joke and we had some fun on you know a day you can kind of take it with a grain of I mean, some th- things wrong. the day was not taken overly serious. Good job by the guys who got that going.
0: For sure, and, and the other thing is, is that their Auburn Twitter and the Auburn fan base is definitely normy enough to not understand <laughs> what's going on. And so, like, for all the people who were uh, tweeting yesterday, it's like, what is happening? Why, why are people saying this? And like, people who were taking it like seriously, like. Uh, you know, I I I swore, and there might have been. I mean, I could see somewhere like Saturday down South. Be like, all these Auburn fans believe that Bo Dix is going to be a candidate for the Heisman this year, and they just embed a bunch of tweets. Um, no, it was it was fun. It was it was really good. It's uh, a friend of the program, Josh Dubb, I think, had it best when he combined this tweet with the uh, with the Nick Castellanos uh, call. Uh, <laughs> Auburn, you finally have your version of that. So, uh, congratulations. We will talk about Bo Nix. We will talk about uh, a lot of what we learned in the first 8A game under Brian Harson. I think the big thing yesterday, one of the big things yesterday right off the top, uh, weather cooperated. It was supposed to rain, and it kind of didn't uh, yesterday. Uh, that kind of faded in the morning, uh, the, the forecast did. Uh, it had some clouds, so it wasn't like blazing hot out there, which is always good. Uh, decent crowd i think it was i think it finished up uh 27 28 000, somewhere in that neighborhood uh, bill cameron uh got the got the pick right so as as we say on this on this show uh bill you're crushing it uh he <laughs> he uh he is now a multi-time winner of the uh of the crowd estimate award that they give out to whoever gets the closest in the press box um, I can think of no
1: one better who deserves this award, Bill Cameron. I'm right. not surprised that you have done this multiple times.
0: Yeah, he's now a multi-time award winner. I can't remember who the other one was, but the 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 first multi-time award winner is, of course, the Godfather of uh, the Auburn beat, uh, Philip Marshall uh, at Auburn Undercover. Um, so, not surprising that Philip that Phil. I think Phillip's won it like three or four times too. Um, the man the man has man has seen quite a few A days. This eight-day game, though, was the first under Brian Harson, and we learned some things and saw some things that we just weren't used to. I think one of the funnier things that happened yesterday, besides the Bo Nix tweet, was the there was a um, like in the first series that the first team offense went in. um, Auburn, the first play Auburn does, they huddle. They huddle before the play, kind the huddle before their first play, which is something they don't do very often. Um, uh, or they, they hardly did it at all under, under Gus, unless it was a, um, you know, uh, unless it was a, a one of those quick huddle, sugar huddle kind of things. And, uh, Flash tweeting first play from the ones, a huddle under center, completion to a tight end. Definitely a different offense. Um, and it's true. I mean, the first pl- the first pass was a, was a pretty good one. They ran a under center uh, play action, and then um, I believe it was Tyler. Yeah, it was Tyler Fromm. Uh, he hit Tyler Fromm on a on a on about a ten yard curl downfield, which was pretty nice. And I thought, you know, if you were looking for a new type of Auburn offense on Saturday, you got a good bit of it. Now there are some things that are still very similar. Auburn ran a ton of inside zone. Um, in, in in different capacities, different packages, um, not as much man technique up front uh, in, in the run game. Uh, but they were getting downhill between the tackles with that inside zone. Uh, they were spreading things around. They went under center. There were a few plays where they had two and even three tight ends on the field. We saw some high formation a couple of times. Um, you know, different bags of tricks in certain situations. For a vanilla offense, I think Auburn fans who wanted to see something different – got it because this was this is yeah, this was very much that kind of multiple varied versatile pro style offense um, that we had been hearing about from Brian Harson and Mike Bobo. You got a taste of it. You got the you got the first real look at it because again it's early and they don't want to give everything away.
1: To your point about the tight end and the first play, I you know Harson doesn't tweet a lot of- he knows what the fan base is itching for. He has hit right. all those notes, especially yeah. where it doesn't cost him anything, like a play call, in mm-hmm. a scrimmage.
0: the The funny one, the funny thing that got got me was they go to um, they get in the red zone and they call a uh, they call a trick play. and the And the thing about calling a trick play there is like, oh yeah, it gets the fans excited. It was a it was a toss out to, to Tank and Tank uh, reversed it to uh, to Kobe Hudson and then Kobe. Uh, being a guy who played quarterback in high school, uh, tried to hit bow on a um on a little flare out uh, in the end zone. It was a short yardage, kind of a red zone thing. The problem with that is that if, if the way Auburn practices and the way Auburn scrimmages um, under Harson, where everybody's kind of close up with one another, uh, any trick play that you pull out, there's a good chance the defense has already seen it. Um, so it was. Super well covered on that play. I mean, Auburn Auburn's defense like could not have guarded that play better for for a play that's supposed to be designed to to get a quarterback free on on a trick play. JJ um, Pegues came barreling down, uh, it, trying to get that pass rush on on Kobe Hudson. By the way, JJ Pegues looked I thought looked pretty good yesterday in that second team defense. Um, you can see the skill sets there. There, uh, you know, he the. You saw him last season when he would do those like really powerful, um, you know, split zone blocks, like the one against Ole Miss where he just absolutely decapitated that dude coming across the formation. Um, you put that now on the defensive line, where you're asked to be more violent with your hands like that, and his, uh, especially his bull rush, looks really good. I mean, he's just strong and powerful and, and quick off the off the snap. So I thought Paige looked good, and it's early. For him, and like we said, we we said a couple times on this podcast, it might not be until maybe twenty twenty two when you see the full effect of that position change. But uh, I thought he looked good there. But yeah, yeah, the uh, the offense changing things up, shaking shaking things uh, up from from time to time. Um, and I think I think Auburn fans, I think, like you said, Painter, I think Auburn fans appreciated that because you know part of the thing with this coaching change from Malzahn to to Harson, it wasn't that Malzahn's Record, I mean, their offense had fallen off and the record wasn't as good as it had been, but it wasn't like Auburn was in dire straits, right? Like, it wasn't like this wasn't coming off of a 2012 season. You know, this was coming off a season where they were just okay. Um, And this was a program that won the SEC West a few years ago um, and has been in some New Year's Six Bowls uh, recently. So, like, you know, you had that going for you if you're Auburn – and your Brian Harson, and you, but it's about building off of that and showing something new, and they and they definitely did that.
1: Yeah. So full disclosure here, Ferg was the one who did all the work yesterday. He was at A Day. I was at Little Italy. So uh, the it's a the, different
0: uh, way to it's a different way to keep up. With yes,
1: that. I had a different experience of uh, A Day than Ferg, certainly. But uh, again, I will I will say that I think Harson uh, hit all the right notes. In this one, given that, like, my general take on spring games is they should be fun. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how they allow people, especially folks who might not normally get to go to games, an opportunity to go Cheap. to a yeah. similar atmosphere. Of course, it's not the same, especially this year, but crowd was good. You mentioned, uh, did you already say that there were nearly 30,000 people?
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and you were so if you were at Little Italy, you were downtown yesterday.
1: Yeah, it was a nice. I'm downtown, good energy, good vibes,
0: yeah, it seemed like seemed like it's things are trying to get back to normal. Um, you know, vaccines are going are, are are going around pretty quickly right now, uh, not only in the United States but in the state of Alabama. so that's a really good sign. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of felt like you know it kind of felt like a normal spring game Saturday getting closer like people you can tell just that anticipation. people are ready for a day. Right, right. I mean, I mean, they they're ready for They're ready for for football season now. Basketball. We talked about the mailbag on on last Friday. We had more questions about basketball than we did football. That's part of the our readers and the the special brand of sickos that we like to um, <laughs> appeal to with what we do. But you know, yesterday I put out the observations kind of later in the day. Um, you know, later for an email that I usually do uh, for for. This and a lot of engagement, a lot of a lot of reads, a lot of people sharing it, which is which is good. And I'm not you know worried about the stats uh, aspect. I don't say that to pump myself up. I say that to say there's definitely was a lot of interest in what was happening in this game for a spring game. Right. A lot of people, you know, it's cool, especially these days to talk about how spring games are kind of useless and, and you know, you don't get a whole lot out of them first year new era a lot of newness you're coming off a year where you didn't have a spring game where you didn't have spring practice at all where you had the weird covid year um, you know i think there was a lot of anticipation for 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 something new and one of the new things that we saw i thought when we talked about the Knicks meme at the beginning of the of the podcast but i i mean i got this vibe while i was watching the game um, when I asked, i mean my my question to harson yesterday after after the game was, You know, how do you think Bo did? Um, you know how how his performance was? Uh, and then talked to Bo some. And then I went back last night on Saturday night and I rewatched i re I rewatched the three quarters where you know they still had the first team out there on offense and defense before they went to run and clock in the fourth. Um, you know i I thought I thought Bo Nick's Played pretty well. Um, his numbers aren't going to blow anybody away. Twelve of twenty for one twelve. Had a touchdown uh, through the air, a really good one to Elijah Canyon. We'll talk about Canyon here in a moment. Ran the ball decently. Uh, five carries, thirty-four yards. Uh, there are twenty-nine total. Uh, he lost five on 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 one play where he tried to do a little too much in the red zone. Um. You know, deep ball couldn't hit a deep ball, um, and there were different reasons for that. He had a couple of throws where he was off target. But I thought, you know, we've, ta- we've, we've talked about how much Brian Harson and Mike Bobo have pushed decision-making, decision-making, decision-making. Be a better decision-maker. Be a better decision-maker. Um, that's what's going to make you a great quarterback, especially in this offense. We've heard all of that this offseason or this spring. And Bo, to his credit... Made really good decisions. That was the first thing Harson said. He said he thought, his, he thought he was very efficient with his decision making. He didn't get him in danger any. He never threw. He never threw really like a turnover-worthy ball. Um, and the more important thing, and Harson was saying, like there were times where you had to check plays. We had audible where you see something and you and you and you make the check and and get it. They changed up tempos, so he had to kind of had to organize the offense around that. Um, just some things that, to those of us who aren't on the team and aren't in the program, might not be able to pick up quite as quickly. He did a lot of that. And then on top of that, I just like there were a few times in the game where the second team defense blitzed six or seven guys, and Bo didn't panic. He just said in the pocket, and he said, and it was like you could see the wheels kind of turning. It's early in the offense, and he's learning all the building blocks, but it's like, okay, both those middle linebackers are coming in. They're blitzing, they're they're blitzing more guys than I have protection. Here's where I go with the ball right here. Like, like automatically. Blitz coming. All right, this is where this is where I'm going with it. This is where I go in this situation. This is where I go in that situation. Here's what I do if I have to scramble to the left. Here's what I have to do if I have to scramble to the right. I I saw a lot of that out of Bonex on Saturday. And that is encouragement. It's got to be encouraging if you're an Auburn fan. Yes, he's got to be a more accurate quarterback. Yes, it was against the second team defense. Yes, he wasn't able to get get tackled. Yes, he's got to do it in a real game. All that is true, but the things we've heard Harson and and Bobo talk about as being the things they were focusing on him the most in spring practices, you got to see tangible evidence of it on Saturday.
1: The folks who were enraged about Jarrett Stidham not yeah. being able to check at the line, like this is your day. <laughs> there were a
0: few times where you could see that that's what they were doing, right? Like it, Read the defense. All right, I got to get you in a different play here. Here we go. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that, Painter, because here's a rather eye-opening quote from uh, from Nix, and there's another one from Nick Brahms We'll get to. We'll probably do it right after this. <laughs> um, I asked first question. Bo got yesterday. I asked. Uh, it's like, hey, we've heard it, we've heard uh, Brian talk about. You wanting to become a, a you needing to become a better decision maker, and that's what they've been stressing you. He said today he thought that you did a really good job of that. You know, what was the difference today? Do you feel like you've you've made really good strides as a decision maker uh, in in spring practices? And Bo said this. He said, yes, I do. I think that the offense that we're in now allows me to be kind of multiple and allows me to do certain things with the football. It allows me to be in a position to make choices and stuff. And it gives me a lot of reads and a lot of progressions. So, with that being said, I think it's kind of easier to go through progressions and make decisions and put my guys in great situations. now, that's the that's, you know the the meme says he's having fun. You know, he's improved so much under this new <laughs> offense. It's kind of true. I mean, it's kind of true in the fa- the fact like, you can tell they give him a lot more freedom to do things in this offense. It's not just – it's not quite as rigid. Now, he's learning the building blocks of where to go with the ball in certain situations, right? It's early on. But, you know, one of the – later somebody said – this might ask him, you know, when you're working on decision-making, what does that look like on the – you know, in practice? He said – Well, first and foremost, the most important thing is understanding the play, understanding the concept, knowing what the progression is, and so whether that's single high and you're working to one side, or if it's the other and you're going to two to three, or that means his his progressions, or if it's too high and you go one to two to run, those are really important. And So because of that, it's important to know defensive structure. It's important to know where guys are on the field. That way, once I've seen it, I know where to go with the ball myself and continuing to study and know the playbook. Um knowing it like the back of my hand. So when the time comes and they do something different that they might not have shown on video, I'm prepared because I know what to do with the football when they go to a certain coverage or play a certain defense. So it's a lot of repeti- repetition. It's a lot of knowing the offense from the building blocks. And I wrote about it last week at the Observer. It's that it's that from the beginning, when you teach, when Brian Harson and Mike Bobo teach him a new play or a new concept, it's like, okay, if this happens, you go here. If this happens, you go there. If this read is covered, you do this, right? And so it's working through your progressions. It's being better. And you saw this a little bit on Saturday. He didn't... Like, when he scrambled... So some people have the criticism of Bo with the happy feet, and yes, that's something that he has to trust his protection a lot more. The times he took off and ran on Saturday were the times he was getting pressured and he needed to go, Right? Especially when you get, if you're tagged, you're down. You want to, you 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 take off uh, as quickly as you can when one of your guys up front gets beat. He did that, and you can see him. There were a few times where you could see him kind of look at the re, like wait in the pocket a little bit. Look, look, okay, nobody's open. Let's go. It's that kind of stuff that they that that he's got to get better at. And you saw that on Saturday. Like if you. If you just want a box score watch, and I know not everybody was able to watch the game, but if you just want a box score watch and see, okay, Bo was 12 of 20 for 112, oh, well, that's not any better. I mean, the way he actually played on Saturday, there was improvement, and there was improvement, and a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, but that's okay because it's a spring game, right? You could light it up and throw for three, 400 yards in a spring game, but I mean, everybody wants to go on on about what JT Daniels did at Georgia yesterday. I think JT Daniels was a really good quarterback. But what happens when they play Clemson in Week One and and, and he and he falls flat? You think anybody wants to go back and talk about his spring game then? No, it's about <laughs> building and building and building, right? So I think that's I think that's the key thing for Bo. I thought I thought he looked more poised and he looked more comfortable with his protection. And when the things did break down or the defense threw something different at him. He knew where to go with it.
1: So we are not a prediction. Recently, we know how that's gone. But generally speaking, we don't make predictions on nope. games very often. Are you Are you planting your flag in the Georgia Clemson game already? Are you drawing <laughs> that Georgia is going to drop yet another big game?
0: I don't know, man. I don't know because, like, the the, the the tough thing there is is that. Clemson loses several of their top guys, right? Uh, not, I mean, most importantly, Trevor Lawrence, who, who might be one of the best quarterback prospects in a very long time. No more Travis Etienne. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of dudes that that they don't have next year. And I mean, the hype train was full on with Georgia yesterday. It's uh, you know, one of the tweets I saw was like, they're just when so is crazy. it not? Yeah, they're so they're just so physically better than most teams are going to play this season. I also think that there's a good chance that DJ Uyongalele right now oh is a better qu- is a better quarterback than JT Daniels is. So that'll help. That'll help. Uh, that'll
1: help for uh, sure. Your thoughts on uh, this blossoming trend that I've seen uh, Trevor Lawrence take some heat for. I'm – indifferent about Lawrence as far as I know he seems like a fine guy that has like t- like a really weird uh life in a way because he's young and he has all these people and and these high expectations
0: Yeah and like I think people were starting to talk about him as a quarterback prospect when he's a ninth grader like that's how good he was And so the thing was he had some comments in a in a story about sports Illustrated where you know, he feels like he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, or an edge, all that weird junk that you get with um, all that weird junk you get with like people who are just psycho competitive. Um, and people are like, "Well, I mean, does he actually really want it?" And then people are like, "Is he going to retire early, or is he too interested in other things besides football?" Well, okay. Trevor Lawrence wouldn't be in the position he is right now if he wasn't <laughs> dedicated to what he was doing, going right? to be
1: clearly the first overall pick. Like, there's really not a whole lot of this, you know, that's usually the big conversation. Who goes first? Which quarterback? And it's like, we all know what Jacksonville is doing.
0: Yeah, we all know what Jacksonville is And there are other good doing.
1: prospects in the class. He's just considered that much better.
0: I can't find the tweet right now. But our friend Ben Baby, who covers... Uh, who covers the Bengals for ESPN, he tweeted, it was
1: like, shout out to Skyline Chili. He,
0: he was tweeting, it was like, you don't have, like, what Trevor Lawrence was communicating there is that football is not his life. It doesn't define who he is as a person, which is good. Very
1: normal thing to say. I actually think that's refreshing.
0: That's very refreshing. And he's like, he doesn't have to have an edge or make enemies or have a chip on his shoulder to be successful. He doesn't have to live like that. That's not a very healthy way to live. And I made the point that, especially in NFL draft media, but in sports media in general, there's a lot of people who who demand that from their players, that they have to be these kind of just psychotic invent your own rivalries, sell out everything you have to this one thing, um, you know, to to what you do for a living to be successful, because that's what a lot of people in sports media do, right? they become a slave to what they're do what they do for a living and they invent i mean think about how many times you've seen people on twitter that you follow who are sports writers who just get in fights all the time and just all they want to do is argue and you get this edge and there's this like bloodthirsty edge about it where it's like i got to be the best i got to beat the best i got to break every story i got to get the most clicks i got to have the biggest name it's like you don't have to do like that. you don't have to live like that and it's very refreshing to see somebody who like Trevor Lawrence unreal freak talent in that kind of shape and is like, yeah, guys, like you can be awesome without being psychotic. <laughs> you, can, you can do this without being being that way. So Trevor Lawrence, you will always be an honorary uh, member of the inner circle for having that, uh, for having that approach to life. I, I feel like we can, we can induct him right now. Painter.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I think if you've always been the best player on the field, like that, He's, you know, to not, I think the word he used was to manufacture that. Yeah. So like, that's, that's a fair point. You know, just, I don't understand why, like, I guess it's just that time of the year too, like lists are coming back around list season, list season. Yes. Um, so, you know, people are, are nitpicking what, what this guy is saying in the draft, because we can't who's going to be the first pick we already know. So now we have to argue about his quotes.
0: Yeah, we have to argue if he's he's worthy of it, or if he's as good as people average Because I mean, that's what people do. Jordan Peters had the had a tweet yesterday that it was like he was he was like, I saw somebody I saw somebody say in a scouting report of me that I get too handsy on the top of routes, which leads to penalties. And Jordan was like, I've never been called for pass interference once in my career. <laughs> what are you What are you even talking about? Like, so there's a lot of that kind of junk going around because. Yeah. Especially NFL draft media. It's it's one of the worst things we have. But yeah, you know, it gets clicks and makes a lot of people money, so that's why it keeps happening. Um, back to A Day, you know, we mentioned that thing with, with Bo Nix talking about the different kind of, you know, this offense and how it's helped him become a better decision maker. He's got more freedom in this offense. He he's got um he finds it easier to make those decisions, you know, with the options that he's got there on the field. Nick Brahms talked after the game yesterday and he said this um i think we made a huge stride forward this spring one of the biggest things we were lacking maybe is football iq i think coach friend has done a great job in teaching us the game of football that can help us make the game slow down for us a little bit and really help the guys know what's coming and so we were like all right what does that mean? What is football IQ to you? And he says, so it's like looking at safety rotations and stuff like that, knowing where the pressure is going to come from, maybe from the field, maybe from the boundary, if they're doing corner cat, they show different stuff on defense and they tip it off a little bit. So just knowing pre-snap kind of expecting what's going to happen. It helps us out a lot. Um, sometimes double teams will change based on what the defense looks like. So maybe in one look, we'll have a two eye and a five technique. we see a guy blitzing off the outside. We're going to double with the guard and the tackle. Did I bring the backside guard with me? I think he's going to slant across my face. Then I can climb to linebacker. So it's that kind of stuff. Really think about the game of football and just, you know, not running through plays. Well, that is quite an indictment, I think, on the previous administration, don't you think, Painter?
1: Yeah, if you were a uh, big proponent of saying that Gus's offense was too simplistic, gimmicky, or that it was, you know, this high school offense... And there certainly was a lot of that. My defense was like, well, at least at one point in time, yeah. I think we could push back. Yeah. The last few seasons, right? But nonetheless, all that said, if that is what camp you fell into, that quote and what Bo said, I think, are something that you are going to latch on to.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. We've heard from, um, there was a podcast a while back, that a number of you have have talked about, I know, on on Twitter and and have mentioned different places. There was a podcast a while back where I believe it was Reese Dismukes and Alex Kozan, and they talked to Will Adams, and Will Adams played for both Malazan and Harson when he transferred to to Boise State. Um, And they were identifying some things about how it's a completely different world on the offensive line and different things like IDing you know, before the snap and, and different stuff like that, you just didn't really do as much in the Malzahn offense and for whatever reason, you know. Part of the thing is is that in the Malzahn offense, especially in the early days, you're just you're just going quick, 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 quick. And it can be very simple, but it could also be very lethal in its simplicity. Well, when it doesn't work and you kinda of slow down, some of the some of the faults pop up. But to hear Nick Brahms say, Hey, we had to become better and smarter football players and understand what's going on. I think there's a a tie between that and and, and what we talked about with Bo Nix there, is is that it's not just, hey, run this play, do this, you know, the action that happens in front of you. What happens when the the snap goes on? That's what you got to learn. It's like, hey, before the snap, you can see what's about to come or what might be uh, about to happen, so you can be better prepared when the bullets start flying, right? And so yesterday, the spring game, there were several moments. Like the offensive line's a mixed bag. You can just say the offensive line was a mixed bag yesterday. There were moments where they looked really good in run blocking, and then there were moments when they got gummed up at the line of scrimmage against the second team defensive line. It happens, right? They're a work in progress. They don't have Brandon Council. It's gonna be very interesting to see where some of these other guys go, um, and and what the what everything shakes out here in the summer uh, with maybe some additions or some transfers or whatever. Pass protection. There were times where Bo had plenty of time, and he had he knew where he could go. There were times when guys were getting beat. He had to take off. Right, mixed bag. Right down the middle. You can't say. I think for any positive you can say about the offensive line, you can take a negative. But big picture wise, you feel like the offensive line, at least in this new offense, is learning something new, and they're trying to build something different. And we'll see how much that matters in the fall, because I think if you combine that better. You know pre-snap knowledge, that football IQ, that awareness on the offensive line with what they're doing at the quarterback position with Bo Nix. I think if you can put those two together in time, this could be a better offense, or at least an offense that'll be a lot, a lot more prepared for what's going to be thrown at him in SEC play. But it's, you know, like we said earlier in the week, man, you're like you're not going to have all the answers after eight a. This offensive line has got a lot. To work on, and we don't even know what the we don't even know what the full complement of players looks like yet.
1: You know, I would like to be a fly on the wall uh, with some of these players in their relationship to like the former staff, because I have to imagine that some of them are still in touch with them occasionally, and like some of them probably still have at least an amicable relationship, if not like you know a pretty good one. Given the big reason that a lot of these guys are here is because of the previous coaching staffs. But, you know, I think that also a little bit of what you can take away from those quotes is like, yeah, these things are different. And also, like, maybe some of the differences are better. And uh, it, I, I think at the end of the day, I'm just holding out skewering anyone until we get the results. Because
0: yes, if yeah, you
1: are anti Malzon, those two quotes, you look at them and go, yeah, I mean, I've been saying that for three, five years, whatever. But what are the results going to be? Is Harson yep. going to go seven and six, nine and three? Like he b- mostly gets a mulligan this year, right? Like I think he needs to at least win seven games or else there will be some frustration. But like they're not going to fire the guy this year. No. So really, it's like I'm looking for this team to at least win eight games. And that's going to be tough given the teams in its own division plus Georgia and Penn State. Uh, But that said, like, I cannot, I I cannot get too fired up yet, even though I like what those guys are saying as someone who's like media adjacent, honestly, it's kind of refreshing because a lot of times you don't get that sort of transparency and and like Bo in particular is very guarded about what he says. He's been trained up as like a little media kid, you know, like he's kind of intentionally uh, dull because he knows he's the quarterback. And if he says anything, It's going to make waves. So uh, I guess all of that to say, let's see what the results are at the end of the year before we jump on Malzahn too much.
0: Well, I mean, one of the big things that Malzahn and his staff got right was recruiting and and bringing in top 10, top 15 classes, the things that you need to have the bare minimum to compete for a championship in college football. You brought those classes in. The jury's out on what this staff is going to be able to do in recruiting. One of the reasons is they haven't had any experience. Most of them haven't had a ton of experience down in down recruiting in the in SEC territory. But again, as we pointed out when he got hired, same thing happened for Urban Meyer and he built a supernova at Florida in a short amount of time. It's it's possible. But then also number 2, they haven't they haven't been able to do anything because because of COVID and the dead period ends in June. And that's going to be very very important for him, but that's going to play a big part into, into you know, how you, how everything, uh, you know, shakes out with this team. It is a new era. It is a new mentality. There's a lot of newness to this, to this program. We'll see if this is, these are the changes that needed to be made to get Auburn to where they want to be, as compared to the Malzahn administration. However, when you hear stuff like this after an A-Day game. You can see. I mean, if you want to take some optimism from it, you can. Now, if you also want to be like the people yesterday who kept tweeting at I me, mean, it's like, well, the offensive line still sucks. It's like, all right, but like it's early. Your defense looks good. I think that's a that's a that's a clear thing. You you don't have your full complement of players out there yet. So, I mean, this should have been a time where it, take as many positives as you can from an a a game, man, because you're about to hit a long off season, and if you're just sitting there stewing and how much you think that this one or two things, they're not going to be any good. It's going to be a long year. It's going to be a long year for you.
1: I'm thinking to see how Malzon's tenure ages, For
0: I think it'll age better as time goes on. I mean, they invited, they invited Gene Chizik back.
1: Auburn. Like, his offenses were exciting, and that was as an OC and as a head coach.
0: Yeah, they invited Gene Shizik back for like a and like put his face on the side of the of the stadium, you know, not too far after losing, you know the, or, you know losing nine games a season and having the worst record in, in in program history in the modern era. So I mean I think in time every you know that's it's going to be there's going to be positives to take away from it. You, people people are just going to have to kind of get over it for a little while, right? I think that's that's kind of the. The mentality to take from that
1: well it's such a, it's also a weird yes to what you're saying uh you know time will sort of heal some of the frustrations and people will forget some of why they were so angry because we just can't remember anything it brought auburn a lot of success he did usher auburn into that new era of football with with these high-powered offenses at the same time like he has we all recognize he has this really difficult job because of what school is in the state, what division they're in. And you know all that when you sign up for the job. Mm -hmm. His ability to beat the one team that most teams haven't beaten in a decade while also managing to lose in like really wacky fashion to LSU and like not being able to consistently beat Georgia is this just strange. Is it the right word dichotomy? I don't know. Don't use words that you don't know what they mean, but it is a strange relationship that he was able to beat Nick Saban uh, the way he was more than anyone else and like struggled so much in Athens, for instance, and like had these really weird losses against LSU Mm. and the 2017 season, I will just never be able to wrap my head around the halfway through the year. We were, you know, I was certain that that was it for Gus. He was gone. And then, you know, they, we know what they do. They go on to beat two number one teams in impressive fashion. So it's, I, I tend to agree with you. Like I think people will, will tend to remember the highlights more so than their frustrations ten years from now. And I am curious to know, like, what the players relate, some of the players' relationship to the to that staff is now that they've moved on. But uh, I'm getting a little sidetracked here. Back to A-Day.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things I've, I've thought that has been interesting is that there were there was a lot of you know from Auburn fan from Auburn players, I should say from Gus players, former Gus players, after he got fired, you know, there were people, there were former players who had some hurt feelings on Twitter, right? And they were very, you know, outspoken about it because that was their coach. That was their guy, right? But then seeing over the last few months the inroads that guys like, those guys uh, that, uh, actually, the inroads that Brian Harson and this staff has made to former players of that Gus era and bringing them back on campus and, and, you know, having them around, you know, I, I think that's, I think that can only help you. Uh, and then yesterday uh, there were more than, than this there, but on the sidelines, you know, I saw Derek Brown, uh, his son, by the way, Derek, Derek Brown's son like is like grown now, um, which is kind of <laughs> weird to think about, uh, cause I remember interviewing him, at the Music City Bowl, right after uh, Kyle was born, which uh, so that was that was kind of crazy uh, to think about. And then KJ Britt was down there, and you know you got to make those inroads and you got to make those those uh, those connections uh, and get those guys on board. And so it'll be interesting to see how how much that era, the people from that area, adopt what they see, you know, from Harson early on. Um. Wrapping up kind of some offensive talk with A-Day. Wide receivers, uh, well, Elijah Canyon looks good. Um, six catches, which is, you know, and nobody else had more than two in the game. Had a great concentration catch on the touchdown from Bo Nicks, Really good little route. He I thought his routes looked pretty pretty good. He's got the physical tools there. Seeing him step up has been a big thing, especially with Xavier Capers and Shed Jackson. Um, you know, not out there uh, yesterday and, and and during the spring, saw a little bit of Javarius Johnson get involved. He got a sweep. Kobe Hudson getting involved a little bit. Malcolm Johnson catching a deep ball from uh, from Demetrius Davis, which looked good. Demetrius Davis only had a few plays, but I thought he I thought he you know put on a little show out there. Um, you can see that in time, he could be a really good weapon for Auburn. Um, but more importantly, I think when you look at this entire receiving group. And you heard it from Harson yesterday. They've got to be more consistent, he said. We had some execution mistakes, and you can watch it. You go back and watch. You see it on a couple of uh, couple of occasions. There are a couple times during that during this uh, game where guys are running the wrong routes. Uh, there's miscommunication with Bo. Guys drop passes that they should have brought in, and so that kind of affected it. Maybe you know, on a deep ball, you weren't fighting for it quite as hard as you could have, or. Getting kind of out muscled at the top of your route, stuff like that. They just got to be more consistent, but they are so, so young. They are so inexperienced and they don't have the full complement of players right now. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind. This wide receiver, when we heard from uh, Cornelius Williams earlier in the spring, when we've heard from Hearts and we've heard from the receivers themselves, is like, like, you know, it's been tough. It has been a tough spring for them because. I've had to deal with injuries and learning a new offense, and there's and there's not like a super experienced leader out there on the field right now. Um, but they're flashes. I think you can live with the flashes uh, from the receiver group, but just know that these guys as a group, they've got a long way to go. And anybody connected to this program will tell you that at the moment. But I, Canyon looked especially looked really good.
1: Kind of just in wait and see mode with the wide receivers. You lost all that production. Uh, yeah. I'd like. I. I don't know what to make of this group yet because I haven't seen them play really any, in in a meaningful way. Like I. I'm even hesitant to put much stock into that bowl game, right? Because we know bowl games are just sort of one offs, and right. the, the particular circumstances of that bowl game were unusual, but. I, I would tend to agree that, that he was an outlier in his productivity, and that is certainly, uh, I think that bodes well for him.
0: Offensive line, like, so I think offensive line-wise, the more experience they get and the more, you know, more snaps in this offense they get together, the more work they do together, in time they could be a pretty pretty decent offensive line, right? We've talked about the cap that might be out there with them, but... The wide receiver group. I mean, it is all inexperienced for the most part. At least with the offensive line, you can say, okay, well, these guys have done it together at some point, and they're learning a new offense. But like, they should be able to kind of put put the pieces together, uh, and, and especially in a thing like you know, pass protection. And a thing like pass protection, you can um, get better by just having chemistry and more experience. That that can that can really make a difference for you. Wide receiver group, though, it's like. We've seen some young wide receivers make plays over the years, but like a unit that's mostly made up of young wide receivers is a little bit of a tougher sell. We know in things like uh, SP+, when you look at projections from year to year, returning your receiving group is usually the best sign of year-to-year improvement on offense. Auburn doesn't return very much of that, so that's going to be something there at the battle. The good news, though, is at the running back position, um, they've got a one-two punch that I think can rival most anybody in college football this season, and they showed it on Saturday. Uh, I want to I want to be a little bit of a truther here. Tank Bigsby won offensive player, offensive MVP for the A Day game. Seven carries, sixty-four yards, had a touchdown. All right, one of those carries went for forty-six yards. That touchdown did. It was a good run. It was well executed up front, but it was also a blown a gap fit by the by the second team defense. So, his other carries were six carries for 18 yards, an average of three. Had a couple catches, and he fumbled the ball away. Okay? I voted for Elijah Canyon to be the offensive MVP. I thought he had the best game, the most complete game out of anybody out there. But I understand why Tank won it. I came away from that game yesterday more impressed, or at least a little bit more validated, And what you've, what I've been hearing and seeing from Sean Shivers, twelve carries, fifty-five yards. He was on a tear early, and and Sean, you can see he's still that one cut. Put your foot in the ground and go. He loves to run through tackles. But the man, Painter, as 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 our short king correspondent, the man looks like (laughs) bulkier now. Like he put on that ten pounds, and you could see it out there on the field that he's running with more power more strength, more toughness than usual, which is crazy because he's most famous for decapitating Xavier McKinney.
1: I suppose the thing you can take away from the spring game and that I'm confident about is that Auburn's run game is going to be in good hands. We know the offensive line, for all its struggles in pass protection, or at least its inconsistencies might be a better word, was a solid run-blocking team. And they've got two good options if they stay healthy who can run the ball. We'll be curious to see if they go to the portal at all um you know i what what concerns me is like all right against really good teams like georgia and alabama are you going to be made one dimensional but right on what we saw from shivers what we know about bigsby what we do know about the line and its ability to run block like that element of the game should be excellent i think you wrote as much like they're going to lean on those two guys especially early as they try to find some rhythm in the passing game
0: yeah it's uh it, it's it's something that they can lean on this downhill running game they did a lot of inside zone there was a lot of running between the guards um you know they bounced outside of the tackles a few times broke open some plays in that aspect Bo got to run a couple of zone reads which were which you know one of them in particular was real nice but it's kind of that double teams up front get to the second level you know p- pound your way through get get some get some get some things going up front i thought i thought nick brahms uh and the combination of nick brahms and keandre jones at center and right guard uh paved the way for some good plays there were a few times where you saw braderie's ham really seal off that edge and and help guys get get to the outside there were a couple times where the entire left side of the offensive line was getting great push i mean there were just good moments from that from that group and then there were times where guys kind of got stonewalled and. Didn't have very, very, very uh, much to do uh, with with the running game. But having guys like Tank Bigsby, who can break tackles when things might not be wide open, and having a guy like Sean Chivers, who would love to run over people and run through people, um, I, I think is going to really help this offense. And I think that's going to be a bigger help to Bo Nix because if you can lean on that, your play-action game is going to be more effective, at least. you know Statistically, you can run play-action at any time. doesn't matter how effective you are on your running game. But at least from a play-calling and a, and a um, continuity standpoint, it kind of feels better when you're able to kind of get the downhill running game going and then play off of that. Uh, I think if you watched that game yesterday, you watched Bigsby and Chivers and thought, all right, this this running game is going to be there. They've got power and they've got speed. And they're going to, and Auburn, the way they ran the ball, the way they built a lot of that stuff out of doing some inside zone, a lot of inside zone, a little bit of power from time to time, getting the fullbacks involved, getting the tight ends involved and trying to hammer it, you know, in the box like that. You know, I think I think they're in good hands. I really do. I really think they're going to be in good hands. Oh, well, the
1: schedule good. should uh, should set up nicely for them with the first couple of games, right. Where they can kind of ease into yeah, the element yeah. of the offense that they're not going to be as good at. Whereas I think they're probably able to, Hey, hit the ground running with that portion of their offense. So like that's, that is actually an encouraging thing. It's just like jury's still out on how good the offensive line can be in pass protection and what strides next will make. And then my, like I, I mentioned, like I'm as good as the run game will likely be this year. We know the direction of football, and it is passing the ball to win championships with really good offense, and like they simply cannot rely solely on their run game, especially when they get to that back half of the schedule with teams like Georgia and Alabama. But an encouraging sign that Sean Shivers looks very capable, and we think that on this podcast, and I don't think that this is controversial, that Tank Bigsby will be one of the best running backs in all of football.
0: Yeah, this season. I, I think it's going to be hard for him not to be at least top five. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be really good. He's very, very talented. And I mean, I, I I was talking to some people before the game yesterday, watching those guys warm up. You look at Tank. He's a sophomore in college, but you will look down and he's like, that dude's an NFL running back. He just already looks like an NFL running back. Um, so they're going to be in good hands. They just got to get a little bit more depth. thought Devin Barrett reeled off a nice run late. Um, they've just got to they just got to get some more depth there, and they'll they'll be fine. We'll see how much Jarquez Hunter will help in that capacity. All right, before we head over to the defensive side, let us take a moment to tell the good people at home how they can continue to support what we've got going on here at the Auburn Observer. Painter, the floor is yours.
1: Rate, review, subscribe. That helps us tremendously. Thank you guys for the support. Ferg's been working hard. To bring you guys these stories, we appreciate the support online. If you would be willing to uh, rate, review, and subscribe and support us in that way, we'd really appreciate it.
0: This is a review. Remember, we have the rules of this game. Are if you give us a five-star review and leave it, um, we will read it on the podcast, and they can only be nice. You can only say nice things about Painter. This is a good one in the in the collection. This is from Ding Dong Snitch. Who says. <laughs> painter is nice and smart and handsome and post good justin has a good name that i like and relate to they talk about auburn and i like that they talk about football and i like that too they also talk about basketball which i also like i like the way they talk about these things that i like and i like painter and i like justin and i like to hear them on other podcasts i like thank you justin and thank you painter for for the good talking podcast Justin also writes good articles and smart paragraphs. Thanks, Justin, different from the podcast Justin. <laughs> Thank you other Justin for for the review. Um, a+. Plus. Also, by the way, if you're listening to this right now, there's a good chance that the first person who reviews us will be the 100th review rating oh. whatever we get on on there. So, you you have a chance to be the limited edition 100th rating for the Arbor Observer podcast. Do that on I Apple if you listen that me. way. What was that?
1: I will send you something in the mail if you're lucky number 100.
0: All right. Hold painter to that if you can prove that you were number 100. Um, Hold me By account. the way, by the way, by the way, um, you can subscribe to the Observer, $6 a month, $60 a year, uh, get you access to everything we've got going on, all the writing, uh, the observations we posted this weekend, the mailbag uh, from Friday, which was a really fun one. Uh, Monday and Tuesday this week. I am going to do two, count them, two film rooms uh, pieces on A-Day. I'm going to do one on offense on Monday. I'm going to do one on defense on Tuesday. And we'll also look ahead to the week. You can get all that sent straight to your email inbox. Like we said, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. And you also get the premium podcast episode, which we do just for the members of the Inner Circle, our subscribers, later in the week. I wanted to before we move on. This is already going to be a long podcast, but this is very important. I wanted to talk about, and I'm not being dumb and doing the doing the bonex meme again. Um, but for, for for seriously, this past week, uh, a lot of you who listen or read or subscribers know uh, was the EDSBS charity bowl uh, where you raise money for um, they were raising money. Spencer Hall, Holly Anderson, that crew over there, formerly of SB Nation, formerly of Banner Society, you know all that stuff, but Moon Crew now, I guess, is the is the best way to call them. Raising money for New American Pathways, which is a nonprofit in Atlanta that helps uh, that helps refugees from the moment they arrive in the United States uh, all the way through when they get their citizenship, uh, helping them get settled in the U.S. Uh, and uh, getting jobs, helping out their families, um, finding places to live. A lot of really good work uh, for people who um, really need it and really uh, want to come people
1: to come, society. Yes.
0: Yeah, and and want to come to come to this country and be a part of uh, be a part of what we've got going on over here. So they do a lot of really great work. And last week, all of our new subscription money that we got from, um, which was a pretty good week people. between Day and the Walker Kessler with the Walker Kessler news. Uh, all of our new subscription money went to uh, went to the charity bowl, which you give in honor of your team. Uh, which is there's a big competition with that, and so we wanted to raise Auburn's uh, chances this year. We had, we don't have the final standings yet, but it looks like Auburn put up a much better showing this year than they did last year. So thank you guys who who did that. Um, a lot of you took advantage of the free month of uh, of the Observer that you could have gotten if you made a donation, which I was doing uh, last week. You guys who signed up, any new people or the people you might have given gift subscriptions to or, um, you know, told your friends about it and they signed up, all of that effort, we were able to give well over $300 in just subscription money alone to uh, New American Pathways, which is awesome. Um, So we can't thank you guys enough for being a part of that. Uh, we'll see, like we said, what Auburn ends up finishing at at the end of... Uh, at the end of the of the of the of the charity bowl, we think it's going to end up being a better. Uh, we think it's going to end up being a better standing than they've had the last couple of years, which is a testament to you guys.
1: But also, also I wanted to just, like Auburn has a smaller fan base, so yeah. they're, they're not capable of like doing well when we make these things into competitions. But there is a built-in advantage for state schools like Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia. They just have more people
0: yeah, but Auburn fans, we know your power and we know your internet, uh, how much you're fueled by uh, by rivalry. And uh, you can beat the Mississippi schools. You can definitely beat South Carolina. You can beat Arkansas. you can beat LSU. You can beat teams like that. Don't you know you you you've proven to be able to fight like this. Um, as we're recording right now, uh, the charity Bowl this year has raised six hundred and eighty four thousand seven hundred and fifty three dollars that is more than triple their previous amount. Which is really, really awesome. It's going to go to help a lot of people, and uh, we appreciate all of you who are a part of it. And uh, um, if you're listening to this on Sunday afternoon, you still got a chance to donate. So, Google uh, EDSPS Charity Bowl and you will find the link there. All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. We don't want to we don't want to linger too long since it's already been a pretty long podcast. But the other thing about the defense is like, yeah, they're good. Like i I've, I've, I've said it all spring, they're going to be a really good defense, and For a team that is learning a new scheme and has got some new pieces and new spots and a brand new defensive coach and staff, um, man, Auburn's defense looked like they were plugged in and ready to go with what what Derek Mason's been asking them to do. I thought just dominance for the most part from the first team defense, only a couple of busts, only a couple of first downs uh, given up on that side of the ball. And number two, I thought there were some guys on the second team that stepped up and turned some heads.
1: If the running backs are going to help float the offense through the first part of the season and be the strength of that side of the ball for most of the year, I mean, I think on an even more macro level, you can talk about, like, big picture, the defense is going to keep this, te- this team in games, right? And, and I think is going to... Allow it to be competitive. Now, how far that goes, given that we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about defenses only being able to do so much, I don't know. But I, I will admit to you that I think that it's Derrick Mason and its defense for a new regime seems to be positioned well to keep Auburn in games. And then, of course, it will be up to the offense to do its part. Uh, we just we cannot rely on the defense in this era of football for four full quarters. But encouraging I will agree.
0: Zachary McLean and, and Owen Papa are really good at what they do. Um, spoiler alert: uh, This defense is designed to funnel a lot of traffic to them. Those inside linebackers were able to make a lot of plays yesterday, make some tackles. Um, I thought the pass rush guys were getting home again. Second team offensive line. It's not the. It's not The the, the most stout unit in the world. You saw Derek Hall get after after some guys. Saw Caleb Johnson have a couple of good plays back to back. I think he's done a really good job helping his calls out here in, For, in spring practices. Is it,
1: say, is it fair to say like there's not just a massive drop off from Auburn's defensive line its first group of guys to the to the second group? Whereas like with the offensive line, I think it's a little more clear. Like there's a pretty yeah. there's a gap, and and I think that. That means two things. One, you just know you have a thinner offensive line. But two, like, defensive line has, over the last few years, been a very deep position for Auburn and one of its best.
0: The defensive line, like, the straight-up, just the defensive line, that second unit, well, then you're going to guys like Dre Butler and Zach walker and J.J. Pegues and Lee Hunter, who Lee Hunter absolutely stonewalled a, a <laughs> Tank on a fourth-down carry. Just... Really good off the snap, got through the got through the uh, the two offensive linemen like really quickly and just I mean he's he's good. He's going to be really good and I think he's a guy who can get in the rotation early um, as a highly touted dude coming out of high school and and people know people who watch him in high school know this dude is very disruptive, gets into the backfield rather easily and is violent with his hands. I think as the more he gets used to playing at the college level, he's going to be a monster for, for Auburn. And yeah, you're right, just in the trenches, that's what you got. The edge positions, a little bit more of a drop-off just because yeah. it's not as, quite as deep right now, and T.D. Moultrie and Jaron Handy were not out there yesterday, um, which I guess we can go ahead and address that. T.D. Moultrie, Jaron Handy, Alec Jackson, uh, Marco Domio, and I think I'm blanking on another name that was not out there yesterday. It'll come to me in time. Jay Hardy? Yeah, Jay Hardy. There were quite a few scholarship players for Auburn who were not there yesterday. Uh, Brian Harson,
1: And un- Harson was very, you know, very didn't go guarded. into details.
0: Yeah. He right, said, right. All those guys are still on the team right now. There are different reasons why they weren't out there. We'll address them. We'll review them here. Upcoming before we move to the next phase. We're bringing in more guys later. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to hear it sit here and speculate. This guy was out for this reason. This guy's out for this reason. There, it could be injury. It could be COVID. It could be guys are thinking about going somewhere else. You know, maybe already leaving the team or on their way out.
1: I'm going to go with a very uh, unsexy analysis that it is a likely combination of all the things yes. you're listing out. That yes, each case is different. That yes, it's probably very likely that someone's in trouble. Yes, it's probably very likely that. Given the transfer waiver, someone's like, you know what? I'm going to try a different school. It's, it is possible someone has COVID. So, to I just can't guess like which one is which.
0: Right. Right. So, the edge position was interesting. Like I said, I thought hey, Derek Hall made some good plays. Kale uh, Caleb Johnson made some plays, but then behind him, you got, you know, Romello Height. And then at this point, your fourth one, your fourth one is, is, um, your fourth, your fourth guy on the defense at this point is uh, a a very game. I thought in in, in this one, Nick Curtis, uh, the transfer from, I believe it was Kent State originally, um, but just an undersized defensive lineman that they're playing at the at the edge spot, and he's really quick. And he he gave there were a couple times where he gave Auburn's first team tackle some some grief on the edges. Um, that'll be an interesting group. Dylan Brooks comes in after after spring ball. Ecu Liotta could play there. He comes in after spring ball. They could add some more guys in the transfer portal. They can move guys around. Is a guy like Cam Riley somebody they could play on the edge? We'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see how they shake all that out. But I thought, but that defensive front for a new defensive front, and they kept it kind of vanilla for the most part. Did most of, most of what they did was kind of out of a two four five look. Although, as I'll write about on Tuesday, so you can check it out. There were some pieces moving around out there. I'm telling you, if you if you if you paid close attention, there were some times where guys were lined up at certain spots and you're like, wait, what? And, you know, they were blitzing from all different angles. For for a vanilla, for a vanilla spring game, you got you got some variety on the defense side of the ball. Uh that Derek Mason was was digging into his bag of tricks a little bit there. So it be interesting to see what they've got going on there. Secondary. Um, big takeaway for me from the secondary. Uh shouldn't be surprising at all, but Roger McCurry is really good. <laughs> Roger McCurry is going to be making money in the NFL very soon as a cornerback. He was very locked down in his coverage on uh, on Saturday. Zone and, man, they ran a lot more zone than we're used to seeing from Auburn, so keep that in mind. Roger's been good at zone when he did it under Steele. He played really, really well. Um, you know, we got to see... Some other guys get involved. I think in the second unit, Kamal Haddon played a really good game, which is good because Auburn's looking at some depth there at the cornerback spot. Um saw good saw good plays from Kamal Haddon. Chris Thompson absolutely is. I mean, he's the guy we saw in high school. Chris Thompson is a headhunter. Right be- the the play before Tank's big touchdown run, he came storming downhill and lit up Tank on that play. Uh, Kamal Haddon. Got credited with forcing a fumble, but Painter, it's time to get excited, man! Your 8A defensive MVP from dear old Auburn High, Trey Elston, game high Yo, six tackles, baby. game high six tackles took away a touchdown uh, on a on a pass breakup. Big game, big game for big game from Auburn High, and what we said from the first practice, that first open practice when we saw Trey Elston line up as second team safety. They needed dudes out there because they're not very healthy or very deep right now at the safety position. And, man, shout-out to Trey Elston for standing in the gap uh, this spring and making the most of it. That is a really, really big-time big time, uh, big time uh, development for them, and he's gotten a lot of love from guys like Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson this, this spring.
1: Is it fair to say, given how high the expectations are, at least for me, and I think probably from you, that the linebacker group looks like it's going to be excellent this year. Yeah. That the secondary also should be excellent this year. You can have perceived lack of depth at safety, but I don't think there's a perceived lack of talent at the position. Yeah. And I mean, the line looks pretty strong too. Is is the ends really the only spot where you're going? Yeah. We're in wait and see mode with the defense, right?
0: I think Derek Hall is going to be a leader there, and it's just going to like, is Caleb Johnson ready to take that next step? Who's else is going to help him provide that pass rush on the edge? Is is my my question? Colby Wooden and Marquise Burks look like check one, check two. They're 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 really really good. Didn't see a ton of Tyron Trusdell yesterday, but I think it's also kind of one of those things where it's like no, we the, can
1: offer, right? I mean, you no know,
0: we you, know, you got you know what you got out of him at this point. The right. safety the safety depth thing is interesting because like. Top line talent, they got it right. Smoke Monday, a leader on that defense. He had a really good spring. Uh, he absolutely dominated the interview session afterwards because he's wearing sunglasses and he sounded like a frog. He could barely talk afterwards because he'd been yelling so much <laughs> during during a day, which is great. After the game, he like took the microphone and like was like had, like cut a promo on the fifty yard line, which was awesome from Smoke. But you got that Ladarius Tennyson's really really taken off at safety. Chris Thompson's a great backup safety to have right now. And then you get more guys coming in. You know, most of those defensive backs that you signed that aren't coming in until the summer, they can kind of give that safety versatility, right? So having a guy like Trey Elston right now was was a pretty big pickup. Uh, and at corner, Roger is going to be locking it down. Nehemiah Pritchett looks very comfortable at nickel like we expected. You know, Sean Miller's coming in. You've got those guys. But when 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 you have a game where Kamal Haddon plays well when eric reed makes some plays when uh you've seen Jalen simpson step up this uh, this spring that cornerback spot is going to be fine and linebacker you, you mentioned linebacker the depth in linebacker man chandler wooten was running around making plays if that dude was rusty from not playing last season he has not shown it um he was he was almost had an interception he was he was running around making plays out there and as as zekobe McLean called him uh woo woo uh Chandler Wooten is a uh, is, is is a big time uh you know pickup for them because he can steady the ship whenever they have to replace one of the, the inside linebackers. He knows where to be. He's just a solid all-around playmaker. And so, you know, I think with I think with uh with with, with Chandler Wooten you've got to uh, you've got to continue to develop guys like Wesley Steiner had a, had a good day yesterday. Um, we mentioned Cam Riley, we mentioned uh, some of the other ones, but uh, I think having Chandler Wooten back is going to be pretty big for this defense. Defense looks ready. Um, they they can, of course, it's early. They're going to continue to, to build up their playbook, get used to it uh, in, in certain aspects, get some tweaks, get some adjustments, bring new guys in. But for a for to be four weeks into practices in a new scheme, I thought the way they looked out there on, on Saturday was very very encouraging. If you were an Auburn
1: fan. So, I have to assume that Derek Mason wants to be a head coach again. Don't know what I'm assuming, like basing that off of, but i'm I'm assuming here. But in an ideal world, fifteen years from now, Brian Harson would still be coach because that would mean he's been doing an excellent job. And Derek Mason will have just decided that he wants to be a coordinator forever. And there are those guys out there,
0: yep. yeah, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele has been that guy uh, for for a while after you know, his, his short run as a head coach. Yeah. I mean, I
1: not a likely scenario, but nonetheless, it's what I hope for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. He's never been a head coach before, but like Brent Venables is making really good money being a, being just a defensive coordinator. So, I mean, it's, there have been guys like that over the years. I just, the framework has been, has been laid. There are a lot of question marks and how all this kind of fits together in a long way to go on offense. The defense definitely has room for improvement. They are gonna want to get better. It's that drive that you have to have when you're, you know, playing at this level a hundred percent. But there was a lot of encouraging signs from that defense yesterday. And if you watch it a little bit closely, some of that newness that everybody was excited about seeing on the offensive side of the ball, you could watch it on defense. They were moving some pieces around and there was one play in particular that if you read the the Film room on Tuesday, you'll know what I'm talking about, where I was like, oh, wow, that's where they had him lined up. So keep, keep an eye out for that. Um, but I think the defense is going to be in good hands, and I think we've said it I've said it several times this offseason. There's a good chance that Auburn has one of the better defenses, not in the SEC, but I think in college football this year. I think they're going to be ready to roll on that side of the ball. Just maybe need to bolster some depth at some certain
1: right, spots. Right, they, they really can't afford injuries at a certain positions, but it does look like a lot of that first-team talent is excellent.
0: By the way, wrote about him on Thursday last week. Colby Wooden, um, he gets the Observer bump this week. Uh, he played really well in the spring <laughs> game as well. I mean, dude's just, dude's just an animal. I mean, he is just a really, really good. You know, off the edge can can do a variety of things to you. If you move him to the inside more, he can beat you with inside moves. He's just, he's gonna be really good. So just. Buy, buy stock in him if you haven't already. Buy, definitely buy a lot of stock in Elijah Canyon on offense. I think I think he is he's starting to put it all together. But pretty solid day. Uh, special teams, it happened. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody was confused about what was happening with the kick returns because Tank breaks one down the sideline, and it was like, yeah, well, they weren't really trying to tackle him too hard. Um, Andres Carlson kind of sidestepped him. And then when Sean Chivers did, when Sean Shivers did one, we were like, "Oh, okay, this is what's happening." But shout out to the Auburn Auburn marching band; uh, they played the fight song after every one of those, like it was a touchdown. So I think they were just getting warmed up this year.
1: Spring practice for them too, baby. And by the way, Andres Carlson, I would have gotten out of the way as well. Not worth. Yeah, I
0: don't. It. I don't want any part of it. Like Andres is a big guy and a tough guy for a kicker, physical defender. You know, he can, He has made some t- open field tackles before. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of trying to tackle Tank Bixby in the open field. Your best guess is if you just kind of do like a professional foul there and just try to trip him up.
1: That's the only uh, move. Go for the ankles. Go for the
0: knees. Um, more takeaways from special teams. I mean, Anders was automatic on his kicks, as we probably would have expected. Uh, thought that the punning game, the, the, the all-important punter battle, uh oscar chapman kicked the absolute fool out of the but his first punt. It was a 54 yarder uh really got into that one uh pinned another one inside the 20 uh aiden marshall had a had a, had a few decent punts uh, if oscar chapman like if they can find some separation between that group i think that's what's going to be um more preferred if you're auburn but maybe Oscar Chapman's starting to hit a stride a little bit as a punter. I mean, he came over last season in, like, the worst time ever to be an Australian import uh, uh, <laughs> to American football. Um, but uh, I, I thought you saw a lot from Chapman. Looks like Kobe Hudson, Javarius Johnson are guys you're going to be watching for at the uh, at the punt return spot and, of course, tank and worm at, at, at kick return. So um, got a pretty good look at, at some of everything, and it seemed that uh, that – Brian Harson was pleased with, uh, with the execution, solid execution all the way around. He said, the things that we've been harping on that we wanted to, we wanted to get better at. We showed that, uh, on Saturday and there are things that we're going to be able to take away from this and get to harp on them all throughout the summer. So we now hit the, uh, they have one more practice on Monday, uh, making up for one that got, uh, rained out or stormed out, I should say. um, from the first week of spring practice, so they'll get to, they'll get one more practice, kind of review, recap, set the tone for the summer, and then it's going to be a lot of individual work, a lot of things where guys are trying to get better on their own. You get a little bit of time with the coaches. You try to um, you try to you know get bigger and stronger and faster and all that stuff. On top of the fact that you got to refine your skills, this is this is the time of the year where you talk to any college football player. It's the time of year where teams really start to come together. Um, so it's going to be an interesting summer, and I think if you were looking for for if you were looking for some positives to take into a day, you can do it. If you want to be negative constantly, you can do that as well. But uh, you know, I think you're going to have a lot more of a fun time not only just in life in general, but with this podcast. If uh, if uh, you were on more of the positive end, Painter, final thoughts on a day before we wrap up here.
1: The summer months—it's about to be hot. But, man, I am excited to talk about why this Auburn basketball team, yes, I said basketball, yes, sir, is on its way to a national title.
0: <laughs> this is, that's the great that's the great painter painter pick of the year.
1: Yes, so this summer Auburn, will be the summer of winner. Auburn hoops.
0: hey, guess what? when you when we have a day before a day and we have a mailbag where more people are asking about basketball than football, listen. Let me go ahead and give you one more pitch here for the observer. If you're out there listening, you're saying, "Man, I want is I want I want Auburn basketball coverage." We're gonna be talking about it almost every every episode. We're gonna be writing about it almost every week. We're gonna be getting ready to go, folks. I'll, I'll tell you this between you and me, the wheels are already in motion to get the observer down to the Bahamas for the for uh, the, for Paradise uh, Jam. Uh, the wheels are already in motion. All right, so we're gonna be ready. Auburn basketball news, though. Real quickly, before we go. It's already been a long podcast. Um, Ty Ty Washington putting out his top six on Saturday. Auburn not included in there. Now, not a surprise to me that Ty Ty Washington is not coming to Auburn. I think when Wendell Green uh, picked Auburn, pretty good sign that he was probably going to go somewhere else, probably somewhere where they don't have a point guard ready to roll from the beginning. The fact that they didn't didn't make the the final six is kind of... A little peculiar, depending on how the the wind was blowing. I'm not a recruiting analyst. All I know is that Auburn was going after him. That cross one off the board. Scoot Henderson is still a possibility to reclassify if they want to. If I'm not, glad
1: you said that. Let's talk about there. a lineup that looks like Wendell Green Jr., Scoot Henderson, Jabari, Walker Kessler... And Alan Flanagan. I don't know why I listed Flanagan last. He's not going. to Flanagan's, Flanagan's going to play center. the center. <laughs> He's <laughs> going to be. Nonetheless, the that is a lineup that I would be okay with.
0: And you know what? If Scoot stays at Auburn, I mean, stays in high school and, and doesn't reclassify and wants to, you know, comes in in 2022, if if that ends up being the move for him, you've got a lineup next season where, as I wrote about in the mailbag, like you, you know, JT Thor can still come back. You're still recruiting Desi Sills from Arkansas. There are. I think Auburn needs to get another guard, another wing, but like, even if Scoot doesn't come in, may I interest you in Trey Alexander getting plugged in there? Top 60 player? Just plug him right in at the two-guard spot. May I interest you in a big lineup that brings back JT Thor? May I interest you in, I mean, just the fact that you're going to have Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler playing on the floor at the same time is going to be fun. The fact if they bring that you, back
1: Thor, it's outrageous. Like, and yeah. especially in the dream scenario, if you get Scoot, and Thor comes back and you're talking about a lineup of like Green Scoot, some version of Jabari or Thor at the three, the other one at the four, and then a seven footer. I mean, that is real circus freak shows type stuff. Go like I, I want people to pause when they're flipping through channels and they see Auburn's lineup and they go, My God.
0: Yeah, they have the potential. Like again, even if they just get a guy like Desi Sills, if they if JT Thor doesn't come back, like this lineup is going to be really really good. You're now just seeing how crazier you can add on to it right now with these one or two spots you have left in the uh, in the class. I mean, you're just it, it's just kind of. I think yes, Auburn needs to get another guard. They they could use a shooter. They could use some some depth there on the wing. Absolutely. Maybe even a guy who's a starter quality option. We'll see. But, like, it's now just how ridic- how more ridiculous can this team be at this point. That's what you're into because it's already going to be a difficult challenge sorting out all the minutes. But talent-wise, this team is going to be bonkers good. Now, they're going to be young in some spots. They're going to be inexperienced from in playing together. That's why you got, hopefully, that's why you got a full non-conference season to work all those kinks out before you get into SEC play. Get excited because I think we're going to be talking about Auburn basketball as much as we talk about Auburn football here in this upcoming summer. So it should be exciting. The other thing we're going to do in the summer, Panger, we're going yes. to try to have we're going to we're going to try to have some more guests on here on the podcast to help us uh, get through these long summer months. The first one, by the way, that we're going to have comes next week. So not this upcoming premium episode, but next week's premium episode. We're going to be talking to our buddy Alex Kirshner from uh, from Moon Crew, uh, from from the the excellent Split Zone Duo podcast. We're going to talk to him about his infatuation with Auburn football as somebody who's from Pittsburgh and went to the University <laughs> of Maryland. Uh, we're going to talk to him about college football, what he thinks about Brian Harson, SEC. We'll get into some fun stuff about uh, kind of his perspective on all things that. So be a good time to to join up and be a subscriber because Alex is a member of the inner circle himself. He subscribes and reads the observer uh, already. So we're, we're looking forward to having our buddy Alex on and we're going to, we're going to line up some more guests here for the next few months. So it's not just us two talking twice a week. It's going to be fun.
1: Tell your friends, tell your enemies, join the inner circle. If you haven't yet, thanks for the support.
0: Absolutely. All right, that'll do it for this marathon edition of the Auburn Observer Podcast. Like we said, auburnobserver.com. Subscribe, $60 a month or $60 a year. Join the inner circle. Get that that, that premium podcast episode later in the week and all the writing we've got going on. Uh, some film room stuff later in the week, maybe some basketball content, uh, mailbag, all that good stuff. We'll get that to you as the offseason truly begins right now. So... Thanks for, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to some of you later in the week. We'll talk to the rest of you next week.
1: Painter, final thoughts. Shouts out to the Little Italy Patio.